As you know, we have been speaking of the marriage supper of the Lamb, and uh, I've discussed with you, beloved, uh, I might say that I, I was thankful that, uh, you know, when you're speaking on a theme of this character, it gives you tremendous opportunities for testimony. And uh, I was thankful that uh, one of the nurses up in the hospital where I was, uh, well, I had, I had come in late. I was supposed to be there at 12 noon, you know, on last Sunday. See? So I got there at 4.30 in the afternoon. And uh, so, of course, she was an old, old timer. And I guess she was ready to just about uh, tell me off, you know. And... Uh, in fact, she had said to the doctor, uh, what did you let him preach for? Why don't you have him here on time? So anyway, I walked in, you know, and she was rather brusque. And uh, so I prayed. I thought, well, Lord, I'm going to be here a few days. Now, I, I'd like to establish a relationship with her. So around uh, 8.30 or so at night, she walked in. And uh, I spoke to her a minute. She just came in to see how I was. So I spoke to her a second, and I asked her where she was from and where she went to church. Before I knew it, she was sitting down beside me. And for one hour, I talked to her about Christ. And uh, I said to the doctor later, I know more about her life than you do. She told me her whole life. And uh, I told her about the marriage supper of the Lamb and what it meant if you really knew Christ as your personal Savior. And, uh, it, you know, it's so wonderful. Her whole attitude changed completely. Uh, the doctor had said to me after, he said, uh, you know, he said, she's, she's so quick and so ready to bull people out. And he said, uh, when I come in the next day, he said, she said to me, uh, when is he going home? So I said, well, in a day or two. She says, couldn't he stay? <laughs> and I thought, well, that's the best testimony for the Lord, you know, that you could possibly have when someone, you come in and they're brusque, you know, and ready to brush you off. And then before you leave, they want to hear more. And that's the, the joy of when you've taken in the word and then you want to give it out. And I think, of course, this is important with all of us. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, certainly, I don't preach at you. I preach to myself and to you. If the message is from God, then the message is also to me and to you together, you see. We are together. We are co-laborers together for Jesus Christ. And uh, we're in the same position, listening to God speak to our hearts. And so, uh, as I've spoken to you about the marriage supper of the Lamb and discussed it with you and of what it means of our glorious joy of having Christ our bridegroom and the church is his bride and this is exactly what God says and there's very little talk about this, very little of Christianity even knows 
<coughs> pardon me, the theme itself of, of Christ the bridegroom and the church's bride. I would venture that if you were to speak to many people who claim to be Christians about the marriage supper of the Lamb and the fact that marriage is a picture of Christ and his church, they'd look at you very puzzled and sort of say, where did you get this kind of thing? Not realizing that this doctrine is a key doctrine, that the marriage supper of the Lamb is absolutely essential. You are not saved unless you have Christ as your bridegroom. I'm going to show you that. But it would be impossible for you to be saved unless Christ were your bridegroom. And so I've spoken to you about that from old Revelation 19. I, you don't have to turn to these. I'll just mention them because I'm, I'm going to go on. But 19.7, it says, The marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. Then in 2 Corinthians 11.2, uh, Paul says, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you unto one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. Then, of course, in Ephesians 5.32, after he speaks of marriage, husbands loved your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives be in submission unto your husbands. But he gave himself for it that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And then he goes down to the end and he says, 532, but I show you a great mystery, for I am now speaking of Christ and his church. He says, I want you to understand that every couple that stands before the preacher who are joined together, and this portion of Scripture is used in all weddings, this is the picture I want you to get in your heart, that the relationship you will have as a bride and groom to each other in that deep and holy and intense love, that love which is so deep and real within your breast, will be a little picture of the love of Jesus Christ for you. He's going to be your bridegroom, and the whole church is his bride. And we begin to understand why in Isaiah 9, 6, God said unto you, a child is born, unto you a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful. That's what you'd like to say about a bridegroom. Wonderful. Counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. So that... We ought to see Christ in this glorious position as the bridegroom of the very church. This is a most holy relationship which we bear to him if you've been redeemed in his own blood. Now, I have not by far exhausted this theme, although I have spoken of it for about six weeks. But I have not exhausted this theme. I could go on and on because... The thoughts are such beautiful thoughts and the variety of them seems almost endless concerning this joining together of Christ the bridegroom and his church that I could just go on. My mind gets engrossed with the great thoughts of these things. But I want to press on. But before I do, there has to be one more thing that I have to bring before your attention concerning this wedding. 
this bridegroom and bride relationship. And it's one of the most precious and thrilling portions of the Word of God. And this is going to show you why it will be impossible for you to get into heaven if Christ is not your bridegroom. Because in this portion of Scripture, God has made it very, very clear that the marriage to his son has to be terminated gloriously at the marriage supper of the Lamb, but that we have been joined to him in a most holy relationship. So I'm going to close my discussions of the marriage supper of the Lamb with this portion this morning. It is one of the most blessed and most important portions of God's Word. Will you turn with me to Romans, the seventh chapter? For this is going to have to do with the title I have placed upon it, The Two Husbands. For it is going to deal with two husbands. You can't have two husbands, although most of the world, if I might say, in the Christian sphere is trying to embrace two husbands at one time. Now listen to Paul. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, especially to the Jews who are well acquainted with it, how that the law hath dominion over man as long as he lives, for the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she shall be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now notice. Wherefore, my brethren, ye are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Why? Notice. That ye should be married to another even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now here is a tremendous statement. If I were to ask the average so-called Christian, and if I were to ask practically all Romans, what is the base of your salvation? They would say Christ and works or the law. In other words, that there is an admixture here. It is some of grace, but it is also obedience to the Ten Commandments. And this is what Paul is going to tear to shreds any thought that this would be possible. 
So much is said in this portion, this, just this small portion, that I'd like to break it down a little through the Holy Spirit, and then that never again will anyone say, uh, who's within the sound of my voice, will they ever point to the Ten Commandments as having anything to do with your soul's eternal destiny. If anyone in this room, in this church, would think that at the moment, you can see the absolute folly of it. Paul is saying, and especially to the Jews, since to the Jew the law was given, but since the Gentiles have sort of adopted, if I might say, the law for themselves. Although Paul says in his word, ye Gentiles which have not the law, but the Gentiles adopted it for ourselves. And in Galatians, Paul says, the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But when we have come to Christ, the schoolmaster is done with. For the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. For Christ is the end of all to every man that believeth. The end of the law. Now Paul says here that there is in a sense, since the Gentiles have adopted it, the Jews possessed it, that there is, in a sense here, a marriage has been made. And that marriage has been between the soul, between the individual and the law. And as long as that exists, then it is impossible to get into the kingdom of heaven. Remember, no one was ever saved in Israel by the law. Moses says that the law was given and was placed in the side of the Ark of the Covenant that it might be held as a witness against mankind. The law was never for you. It's always been against you. It is a ministry of condemnation and of death, Paul says. He says, don't you see, the only reason God gave it was to show mankind, through Israel especially, that the transgressions would abound the minute he gave a law. That law didn't come, he says, until 2,500 years after Adam. And then it came. And for 1,500 years Israel had the law and not one Jew was able to submit himself to the law and be perfectly righteous. And so the law was given that it might bring all the world guilty before God. That they would see that it's an impossibility to obey it. And that there is a marriage existing between man and that law, especially Israel, but the Gentiles have adopted it and have looked at it and claimed it as their very own, the Ten Commandments. And there is that existing between the heart and the law, a marriage relationship which must be broken before there can be a marriage to Christ. You cannot have two husbands. There is no spiritual bigamy. God will not accept you. If anyone 
is holding to the obedience to the Ten Commandments as the means of their redemption. They are lost. They are married to the wrong one. Now this should shake us to the very foundations of our being. Because there's so much of Christianity today that points to the law, that points to the law of ordinances, even though God in his word makes it so clear. Colossians 2, he says, God hath taken the law of ordinances which was against us and hath nailed it to his cross, thereby taking it out of the way. He says, the law will ever stand between you and me. You cannot possibly meet its standards, and he that offendeth in one tittle of the law is guilty of the whole law. You cannot enter. It is the obstacle between you and God, and its only purpose was to bring you down guilty before God, that you might then come to Christ and find in him the Savior of your soul. And he says an amazing thing. He says, you have been made dead to the law by the body of Christ. He says, do you understand your position? You see, this is why I cannot possibly understand those who do not think salvation is eternal. I have died with Christ. Death is not something you suffered over and over and over again. In fact, it tells us in Hebrews, it needs be necessary that Christ be crucified again and again and again, if that's the kind of salvation we have. But we have been died in the body of Christ. He says, you've been made dead to the law by the body of Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. The minute you say, I live then you're going to have to go through the dying process day by day and trying to find eternal salvation in no place. But the minute you see that it's been done, that you were married to the law, that you were in a sense married to sin, but that Christ broke it and says you are made dead to the law which would condemn you by the body of Christ. Can God make it any clearer? Dead to the law by the body of Jesus Christ. Notice over in that sixth chapter, in the sixth verse, notice now how he does it also with sin. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Don't you take the old man off the cross. Leave him there. God put him there. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Its penalty power is gone. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. We are dead in the body of Christ so that we have died and we've been married to another. He says it needs be necessary that you be dead to the law, you see. That is why you died on the cross with Christ. You had to be dead to the law. You had to be dead to sin. For God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he says, see yourself as dead men. The law has no dominion over a dead man. 
Why, if you put a man in jail and you tell him that he's going to suffer under the law's penalty and he dies, the law has no judgment over the man anymore. He's dead. And so it is with us. We are dead. Dead unto the law by the body of Christ. Oh, listen, I'd underline that so you know exactly what your position is before God. That you know that you're dead to the law. He that is dead is freed from sin and its penalty. Oh, listen, don't belittle the grace of God where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Our salvation is in Jesus Christ. And notice what happens in that one chapter. In fact, in that one verse, fourth verse, all salvation is placed there. Notice what it says. It gives the death and resurrection of Christ. When you died with Christ, what happened? You're freed. You're freed from the penalty of the law. You're freed from the penalty of sin. And your relationship to Adam is broken. How do we know that? Because it says that she might be married to another. Even to him who is raised from the dead. You've been raised from the dead. Now you're married to the risen Christ, to the eternal bridegroom. And how long will he be your bridegroom? As long as he lives. For a man is bound. A woman is bound by the Lord to her husband as long as he lives. And if her husband be dead, she would be freed. But now I am married to Christ. How long will my new bridegroom live? He will live forever. He says, Behold, I am he that was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And I've been joined to him. And so now I have an eternal bridegroom, the bride of Christ. The marriage of the Lamb is come, and her wife has and his wife has made herself ready. Ephesians 5.32 I show you a great mystery, but I'm speaking of Christ and his church when I speak of marriage. Paul, I want to present you a chaste virgin unto Jesus Christ. No spiritual adulteries. No trying to hold on to the law. No saying I'm saved by grace, but I'm keeping myself. God help you, you can't understand grace. If grace be of works, Paul says, it is no more grace. So stop your talking. And so here we stand. Saved by grace. But a more wonderful thing has happened besides this. He says, notice why this marriage takes place. And oh, let me tell you, this is the key. Unless you've been separated from the law as anything to do with you because you've died in the body of Christ, you're made dead to the law by the body of Jesus, crucified with Christ. Unless you've been made dead to sin, as that Scripture says in the sixth chapter, by the body of Christ. Unless you've been separated from Adam, then you will have to say in Adam all die. 
But if you've been joined to Christ, it's in Christ all are made alive. For they are the federal heads of the two great groups. In Genesis 5, 1, it says, this is the book of the generation of Adam, and it's the book of death. And then in Matthew 1, 1, it says, this is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, and this is the book of life. That's the vast difference. But notice what happens. You've been joined to the risen Christ. Now, let me say this and get this very clear. I hope you understand that you can't have the Ten Commandments as any base for your salvation. By that, I'm not saying the Ten Commandments are sin. God says, are the commandments sin? No, of course not. He says they were given that the transgressions might abound, that it would be made evident to everybody. Once you saw the Ten Commandments, you say, what can I do? I'm lost. It would be the same, may I say this, under the law, it would be like a wife. Here is a wife. She is joined to a husband who's a hard taskmaster. He's a perfectionist. And she's joined to him. Her life is a life of misery. She's miserable all the time because this first husband, he's such a perfectionist that she never can please him. She tries her best, but every single day she does something wrong. That's the law. That's the first husband. Paul says it's a ministry of condemnation and of death. And she cries out, Oh, wretched woman that I am! Who's going to deliver me from all of this? And then the second husband comes and the first husband is dead. And the second husband comes and the relationship to the second husband is so gloriously different. Now, there's a completely new motivation. Before, it was you never do anything right. And now, the motivation is love and concern for the Savior so that the Holy Spirit that comes to dwell in the breast speaks to our hearts. And Jesus says, I will give you the Holy Spirit now and He will guide you into all truth. He will speak to you about me and we are in tune with Christ. And what we do now, we don't look at the law of commandments. We don't look at any list of do's or don'ts, but we look at Jesus and we set our affections on things above where Christ dwells. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And my commandments are not grievous. Then you're married to the living Christ raised from the dead. Why are we joined to him? Well, it's an eternal relationship. He says, remember now, your first husband died, you've got a second husband, you're joined to him as long as he lives. You say, Father, how long is he going to live? He says, no, you're not that he's eternal. You're his eternal bride. Your name is written in his book of life. You're part of the very bride of Jesus Christ. You're his 
eternally. But do you know why I joined you to him? For a specific purpose. Notice what it said. That ye should be married to another, that fourth verse, even to him who is raised from the dead. Why? That we should bring forth fruit unto God. He says, don't you see that the fruit of all marriages is a family? He says, you've been joined to Jesus Christ. Now, the very fruit of your life, God is concerned with. Because now it's going to be Christ in you. Ye two have been made one flesh. You're members of the flesh and the bones of Jesus Christ. He's given you His very Spirit. You wouldn't want your earthly husband's Spirit because you wouldn't want to know all about him. But he's given you his spirit so you can know everything about him and find the perfect bridegroom. And so he's given himself to you. And he's given himself to you so that you can bear fruit. And beloved, may I say this? There can be such a wrong approach to this, the bearing of fruit, that we have to be so careful. When we have come to Christ, remember he is a bridegroom and we are a bride. Now, a bride and a bridegroom are concerned with but one thing, and that is that they get to know each other perfectly and wonderfully so. And our relationship to Jesus in the beginnings is to establish certain fruits within our being found over in Galatians, that fifth chapter. And in Galatians 5, and we reverse this order sometimes. It seems to me, and this may be due to evangelists, it may be due to some wrong impression that is given, that the minute a person comes to Jesus Christ, the fruit there to bear is the winning of souls. And this is absolutely wrong. The fruit that they're to bear is the fruit of the Spirit. Because unless they have the fruits of the Spirit, which are love and joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and patience, all of these things plus others, how will they ever bear their testimony for Jesus Christ as they should bear it? If they go out the wrong way, I would remind you that when Paul was redeemed, he did not run out immediately. He says, I went for three years, and I saw no man. He says, and after three years I came back. But during that time... He was in fellowship with his Savior. And he fed upon Christ his bridegroom. And he got to know him. And Jesus wants that above everything else. That you as the bride and he as the bridegroom, when you come to Christ, you get to know him deeply, wonderfully, and blessedly. And receive from him grace for grace. Does he have the greatest love of all? Lord, give me thy love. Does he have the greatest patience of all? Lord, give me thy patience. Does he, is he long-suffering? Then make me long-suffering. Give me joy in my heart. Give me peace in my heart. Oh, how often I've seen people go off the wrong way. They go out and they testify for Jesus Christ, and the next day the same person meets them, and they're all upset. 
and they don't seem to know anything about Jesus Christ. Some little thing has come into their lives and none of the fruits of the Spirit are evident. So there has to be the fruits of the Spirit first that she might bear fruit. And that's why we're joined to Christ. Have you ever heard people say, you know, about a husband and wife, they've gotten so they look like each other? Well, that's what it is. That's what it is. The Scripture says that, that I might grow into the what? The stature of Jesus Christ. Thomas Akempis wrote, the imitation of Christ. But it can't be till first he belongs to you as your Savior and the Lord of your life. Until first you've been joined together to him. You've been made dead to the law by the body of Christ, for the law could do nothing for you. What could it do? It would tell you what not to do, but give you no strength to win. Now Jesus comes into your life. He says, you're dead to the law through my body. But you see, he says in this one verse, you notice what I did, that you might be married to another, even to me. I've risen from the dead. Now you're joined to me. I am going to give you the Holy Spirit. He will strengthen you. And every day you will come to be more and more like me. Because you're my bride. And I have nothing but holy, wonderful, joyous things to give you. Now, Christian, can I ask you something? How long have you been saved? How long do you really know Christ as your personal Savior? Do you look more like him now? than the day you were saved? Listen to John in that epistle of his. For we know not what we shall be, but we know that when we see him, our great bridegroom, we shall be, what? Like him. For we shall see him as he is. And then what does it say? And every man that hath this hope in himself, what does he do? Purifieth himself even as he is pure. He says, are you a bride? Is he your bridegroom? Does a bride seek to please her bridegroom? Are you going to see him? You expect that? That's your hope? That's the joy of your heart? Looking unto that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the Son of God and the clouds of heaven to take us to himself, is that the glorious hope that you have in your breast? Then you know you're going to be like him. You're going to receive a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. Now, since the day you received him as your Savior and your bridegroom, and you are made dead to the law by God's divine quiet act. And you are made dead to sin by God's sovereign act. It has nothing to do with man or what you think. It has nothing to do with this. 
This is God. Since that happened to you, and Christ is your Savior, your Lord, and your Bridegroom, tell me something. How long has it been? One year? Five years? Ten? Twenty? Thirty? Forty? I see a few here that have over 50. Do you look more like Christ now than you did the day you came to him? For the same Holy Spirit that dwells in his breast dwells in you. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to make you look like him. That's it. While you're here, so that when he comes, the transition won't be too great. What a terrible thing if Christ comes and the transition is from near darkness unto light. But there should have been that growth, as Paul says, into the very stature of Jesus Christ, so that when Christ comes at that point, you will be closest to the image of Jesus Christ. Because of what? Because of you? No, you died. Because of the Christ who lives in your breast and is conforming you into the image of his dear son. Well, is that it? Only you can answer that. Is your life that way? Have you really come closer to Christ? You know, the only, reason, the only way you'd really know that if you want to really know it, is when you go home today. Husbands, ask your wives about your growth. It may be a little tearing down. But ask your wife, since I married you, would you say, honey, that I am closer to the image of Christ, being a saved husband, than I was the day I married you. And wife, you should be able to say the same to your husband. Husband, do I show the fruits of the Spirit? Do I honestly show them love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience? Because once those fruits are there, that's the personal, that's what God deals with first. Once they're there, then the new fruits can be taken care of. The fruits of the soul, the fruits of going out and witnessing for Jesus. How do you witness? This person looks at you. What are they looking for? They're looking for the image of Christ in you. They're looking for that which is different, the new birth. They're looking for it in you. And when they see it in you, then they'll believe that something has really happened and that you're a different person than you were before. Now, when people tell me so-and-so is a Christian, but today, boy, they're way off. They're living out in the world and they're filled with sin and all of this. I say we should make no judgments, but let God make the judgment as to whether they were saved or not. That's not my job. Let God make such judgments. But I say to you that if you've received the Holy Spirit, then as the very bride of Christ, 
doing such a wonderful thing for you in that death on the cross, making you dead to sin and dead to the law, so you're a free man. He says, whosoever the Son shall make free is free indeed. He says, you're a free man now and you're married to me. Now live like my bride and get to look like me. Get to be like me because I have nothing but beautiful, glorious traits of character, parts of my very being I would implant in your hearts that people might see Christ. I pray it so with you. Let us pray. Father, we ask thee to bless to our hearts this portion of Scripture. We realize that in a world outside, we would pray not here, but in a world outside, people hearing of dying to a first husband who's the law and then being married to the second husband who's Christ and grace, that it would be hard for them to understand. But Lord, it should not be so to us. You've made it so gloriously clear that we're dead to the law by the body of Christ. The Gentiles claim the law so they have to understand that they're dead to it even as the Jews. If men, it says, want to live by the law, then God will have to judge them by the law. And this is a sad occasion for every man. But we're thankful that we're dead by the body of Christ. We've trusted Christ on the cross of Calvary. We died with him. And we've been made dead to sin, it says, by the body of Christ. That we should be married to another, even to them, him who is risen from the dead. So, Lord, we praise thee for the divine bridegroom the one who has joined himself to us, and we're looking, we who are redeemed, to the marriage supper of the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world and continues to take away sin for everyone that believeth, to the Jew and to the Gentile. Now, Father, imprint upon our hearts thy precious word. May no one ever say within the confines of this church, or the hearing of the voice of God, that the law has a part in the salvation of believers. For Christ is the end of the law to everyone that believeth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.